Well, good morning, Blue Water. It is so good to be with you guys this morning. Thanks for braving the elements to join us. I am very excited to continue uh, in our series through the book of Hebrews together. We're getting there, guys. We've been in it quite a while, which means we're getting to know this book hopefully quite well uh, by now. But I gotta say, full disclosure, today's text is a doozy. It's the only way to describe it. I know you've all read it ahead because you've tracking with the plan through the book, but it's, it's a doozy. I think I drew the short straw on this one maybe just a little bit. And you might say, wouldn't it be easier just to do a sermon on like New Year's and resolutions and stuff? It's like, yeah, that would have been. But this is where we are in the book. And so this is where we are spending our time this morning. And I hope there's a lot of things we can take from this uh, that are encouraging in our faith. And we'll, we'll walk through all that. But even, um, if nothing else, I think it's important to address the fact that in the summer, we spent a lot of time saying how we want to be a Bible church. We want to be a Blue Water faithful to the scripture. And so I hope today, even if this is uncomfortable and you leave here feeling a little unsettled maybe in some ways, uh, that this would be encouraging to you, whether you're here for the first time ever or you've been here a long time, that we're committed to taking God's word seriously, all of it even the parts that might be more comfortable for us to skip over sometimes. So I hope that's encouraging to you. Um, And that's why we're spending time in a text like this today that might be a little bit difficult. And so we're in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 26. We're gonna go all the way to the end. So I'll invite you to turn. Hopefully you have a copy of God's word here with you, whether it's digital or a hard copy, because it's so important for you to know that this is not Scott's thoughts on life, but it is the very word of God, and that's why we open it together each and every week. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, let's see what it says. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. There's a lot going on there. I told you, it's a doozy. There's kind of two main elements that are happening in in this text. So number one, there's this, this warning of judgment for those who would turn away from Jesus, who would reject him and remain in rebellion. 
And then there's an encouragement for those in the community of faith to endure, to keep going in pursuit of him. So the first part's a warning. So who is the warning for? Let's check it out. It's for those within the Christian community. Okay, it's a warning too for, for those who just don't believe in Jesus, but especially focused to those who it says have already received knowledge of the truth. They know the truth and have probably responded in some way to it already, but maybe are feeling pulled away, pulled back towards their old life, being tempted to reject Jesus. And this is a big deal. It's a really, really painful thing when people within the community of faith choose to leave, to walk away, to renounce their faith in Jesus. You maybe have seen this in loved ones and friends. I don't even want to count the number of uh, friends and people that I've um, served in ministry or students, former students, these types of things that I've seen uh, choose to renounce their faith and walk away. It's a tragic thing. It's even become something that's been in the news quite often recently. There's been many Christian celebrities uh, who have been very public on social media, taking to social media to renounce their faith, um, to apostatize, to reject Christ. And these are famous Christian authors, previously you know, well-known worship leaders, Bible school professors, pastors, kids, these types of things, and it's a tragic, tragic thing to see. It's also quite interesting to see the reasoning for many people who are are choosing to walk away from Jesus. What is it that is pushing them away if you ask them? And these celebrities have volunteered this information. It's quite interesting to see. The reasons are quite different maybe than the main reason that is being addressed here to the the first readers of Hebrews, Um, but they're interesting reasons nonetheless. And it seems like with all these cases and often in the people that I've seen this same thing play out with, is there's a a deep foundational, really misunderstanding of what it means to follow Jesus. At a base level, to misunderstand what it is to follow him. There also seems to be a common thread, at least through these celebrities, um, that kind of suggests that, well, the church wasn't willing to investigate the tough questions. No one was talking about the tough questions, and it kind of becomes this intellectual thing that like nobody would, would address these hard things, and I just had so many questions, and it was so difficult. The funny thing is, though, many of these people, when they source the questions that were driving them so crazy, these are questions that we are here at Blue are so committed to um, helping our students walk through before they finish high school. So it's a sad thing that many of these people who have walked away from the Lord really lived like not engaging their faith, not thinking through it until like well into their 40s that they had these realizations of, oh, that's a tough question. We wanna engage that early. There really is no new questions. <laughs> this, is, this is a thing. I've struggled with questions uh, so many over the years. There was a time where I almost felt myself like maybe there's nothing to this because I have so many questions and maybe I should leave it all behind. So I understand the struggle. But to say that there's these questions that I've realized that no one else has realized is a little silly because this book's pretty old. (laughs) People have been pouring through scripture for thousands of years and have investigated all the questions. If you can come up with a new one, I'd be really impressed. And there are answers provided. The thing for people who are deconstructing their faith or trying to decide if they wanna turn away is there should be an honest reflection and say, do I actually want answers? Because many of the time, well, it's been said this, thirst was made for water, inquiry was made for truth. 
We have questions to seek answers. But oftentimes, when someone brings me a question, like on a difficult text like this, and I say, hey, here's a great sermon on this, here's a podcast, here's three books to read, they often just say, oh, well, what about this question? There's not a lot of engagement to pursue answers, and often, when we boil it down, more than it being intellectual or anything else, it's a matter of the heart. It's a willful decision to not believe. It's a willful decision to want to follow me and my own desires rather than God. And I found something really interesting. One of these happily taking the the name of apostate is John Piper's son. He's quite famous on TikTok, actually. And it must be painful for his dad to see this, but he renounces the faith on there all the time, and he said this. At first, I pretended my reasoning was high-minded and philosophical, but really, I just wanted to drink gallons of cheap sangria and sleep around. And I've had a couple people tell me, honestly, that kind of thing, but that is underneath sometimes all of our questions, really at our heart, just a desire to go our own way and willfully unbelieve. And so this is the situation, and this is a warning to not turn away from Jesus, and it's a serious one. So let's check out what it says. Verse 26, it says, if we go on sinning deliberately, After having knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And we might read that and be a little scared, because if you're like me, you struggle with sin, even if you love Jesus with all your heart, right? We're still going to struggle. So who is he talking to? Well, there's a big difference between a Christian who loves the Lord and is trying their best to walk in faithful obedience occasionally falling into sin, being grieved by that, and continuing to pursue Christ by his power, and someone who is deliberately and continually knowing the truth, but choosing disobedience without care. In the Greek, the word deliberate is kind of like bolded and highlighted, like the equivalent of, of that emphasis. This person knows the truth and is willfully even though they've responded to the gospel, willfully walking in disobedience. It's a big difference, so that's important to see. Maybe some of you here are vegans. Um, Is that funny? (laughs) Um, If you are a vegan, it means you do not consume animal products, right? I don't get to just kind of declare I am a vegan now, right? There's something that should be true about my life if I am a vegan, right? Now, I know there's like sometimes vegans who like eat fish, and I'm like, okay, like I'm trying to understand, but I think I get that. And then sometimes you might be like, I'm a vegan, but like keep it on the DL. I had a steak for my birthday. And it's like, we get it. Like, it's good. That's why we eat it all the time. So I understand that, right? But if there's no desire within me whatsoever as a vegan to avoid animal products, if there's no uh, seriousness for me to, to strive to live that way, then I have a hard time calling myself a vegan. The evidence of my life confirms this identifier that I've placed upon myself. And in the same way as a Christian, the fruit of our life testifies to this claim of identity that we make for ourselves as a Jesus follower, meaning the result of faith in Jesus is a life led in faithful obedience to him, not willful disobedience. We should keep that in mind when we attach the label of Christian to ourselves. Okay, it says, for those who reject Christ, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. That kind of sounds weird. It sounds like Jesus is like dangling this offer and then removing it if they 
have a doubt. So what's going on there? Well, the fact is, it means that they have rejected completely and totally at this point the one remedy for the situation, the remedy for sin, and instead pursued all kinds of home remedies that are unable and hopeless to fix their condition. So it's the, it's the complete and totalness of the rejection of the offer that means that there's no longer a way back. It's kind of an interesting thing to explore. So we might say then, well, this description seems pretty intense. How is this accurate? To become an adversary? That sounds harsh. I might say, well, I don't know about this Jesus thing, but I don't think I've profaned the blood of the covenant or like, I didn't want to stomp on Jesus. I didn't want to trample the Son of God. That seems like a bit much. I just don't know that I believe in him anymore. The hard part about that is to not swear our allegiance to Christ is to, the Bible would say, to remain in our default state, which is as a rebel, an enemy, an adversary of God. So it might sound pretty intense, but when we see Jesus for who he is, hear the truth, and choose, nah, I don't want any of that, this description is what we're doing, even if it sounds uh, uncomfortable for us. That is what it is to reject him. To profane something uh, is to treat something that's sacred as common. So when I say this Jesus guy, I don't know if this is that big a deal, it's to diminish his person and work and the work of the spirit of grace, it says, who leads us into truth and reject him. That's what this is. So if we keep going, we might say this sounds like a pretty intense consequence. Why the intensity of the, the punishment or the judgment here? Like this is pretty crazy stuff and passages like this uh, and others would even indicate that it it is worse to come from a knowledge of the truth and then turn from Jesus than if we had never heard of him in the first place and lived in ignorance and unbelief. So what's the deal there? That seems kind of tough. But I think we do understand this, right? If we're parents, we understand that uh, it's frustrating when your kids disobey. I have two daughters, they're over there. One of them was coming on the stage earlier. They're three and five and we understand this. Right, but there's a difference in how they disobey. So if there is a jar of candy there, uh, and my dear sweet daughters, just little cute tummies are just rumbling and they walk past and they know it's not for them, but they still are like, ah, I gotta take some. We're like, okay, we gotta have a conversation, you knew that was wrong, that kind of thing, right? Is that disobedience? Sure. It's different and there's a special wrath as a parent when you've already had a conversation and said, seen that candy box? not for you, and then later you come back and you see their hand inside, and the worst is if they see you, and they remove the candy, they unwrap it, <laughs> and they still look you in the face and eat it, and it's like that is, oh no you didn't, type of wrath as a parent, right? It's a deliberate disobedience, right? We talked about this. Even in the legal system, we understand this. Murder's bad, hope that's not news, but the worst kind of murder is premeditated murder. There seems to be this understanding that when you have all the information of what's right and wrong, and you've had the time to weigh out, you know, how should I approach this, what are the consequences, and you still willfully choose to do wrong, that is serious disobedience. That's what this text is talking about when we know the truth and we choose to walk away. 
I get that this is a hard thing. Like I said, I really do. This is something I've wrestled with many times uh, previously in my life. I came to a point where I could say to myself, I don't know that I can believe in a God who would bring judgment like this. This doesn't seem okay with me. I can't believe in a God who would do that. And you may have heard people say that, but when we say that, it's an interesting thing because we're suggesting that me and God should agree on everything. There should be nothing that I might disagree with God. And that's kind of a bold thing to think like the God of the universe should think like me on everything. Even Bethany and I don't think the same on everything, right? We don't agree on everything. She doesn't think birds or foreign languages are that interesting. She thinks home sense is interesting. I can't understand. And I have many students who work there now. I've been handing out flyers of her face trying to get her banned from this place to save our financial situation, but it's a difficult thing. And she thinks that's great. We don't agree on everything. But when we frame things this way and say, I can't believe in a God who would X, it's not even about the question. It's not even about judgment. If it wasn't that issue for me, I'd fill the blank with something else. It's about the idea that I wouldn't follow a God who doesn't agree with me, and I wouldn't be willing to say there's someone above me who knows more and is a more fitting judge than me. It's a hard thing. And the hard part about this is, my feelings, and this is so difficult, we push this so hard away, my comfort level with a text like this, something scripture says, or something about who God is, is no way of deciding whether or not that thing is true. Just because I don't feel comfortable with something or I don't like it, doesn't determine whether it's true. And this is what is being said, to be true of God. Verse 31 says, the point of this warning isn't just to upset us for no reason, it's a fearful thing, and it's to say, for all those who are on the verge of falling away or who have never believed in Jesus, there are real eternal consequences that depend on where we put our allegiance. And that's a crazy thing to say in our culture. People hate that idea. I saw a video uh, this past week of a guy who was being interviewed uh, by the US Senate, and he was a professing Christian. He had suggested previously in interviews that this very thing, that there are eternal consequences to what we believe, that God's wrath could remain on someone who rejects Jesus. And he's being interviewed by uh, a senator, Bernie Sanders, who is absolutely irate and confused. How in the world could you possibly believe that God could be a God of judgment who would bring wrath on someone for beliefs they hold sincerely? How could that possibly be tolerated, such a belief? And he ends by saying, this candidate is not fit because these are not American values. This is ridiculous to believe that a God could be a God of judgment for those who wouldn't believe. And yet, even though we don't feel comfortable with it, it's saying it. It is true, it doesn't matter what we may feel about it, we have to address it. It's a fearful thing, it says, to stand before the judge of the universe. Um, we have a zoo that's not far away here that we have gone to. It's not quite a Tiger King situation, but they, they have a lot of big cats. Um, and big cats are pretty cool. They have a lion that is massive. And so we were watching this lion, um, this big male lion, and just in awe of it. And then there was a guy there who had a little dog, like a real little dog, and this dog was feeling tough behind the fence, and he was amping up this lion, like running back and forth, barking. And usually at the zoo, lions just like sleep in the sun. This thing was up and like running back and forth, getting so fired up about killing this dog. And I was starting to get pretty worried. I looked at the fence, this place, there's no roofs on the cages. 
and there's no barbed wire, and they're like nine feet tall. I was like, this thing's getting so amped. It could jump out of here easily. So we fled, <laughs> as, you, <laughs> as you do. Um, like, I'm not going to oppose this thing. That is fearful. Everly, if she's told you that the lion got out, that's what she thinks happened. That isn't quite what happened. We thought that could, so we left. Um, the fear there draws us away from opposing that thing. The warning that's here is not meant like that. It is meant, the fearfulness of the situation is meant to draw us to God. Because, remember, he is a God of love. His wrath actually flows out of his love. It's evidence of his care and love for his people that he would have wrath towards sin and evil and all that harms his people in the world, is it not? The Bible says he wishes none would perish but is ever patient so that all would turn to him in repentance. It's to drive us to him, not from him. Then we get to part two. This is the encouragement. Hey, this is a serious warning. Continue to persevere in your faith. He says, remember the former days. Verse 32, after you were enlightened, there was hard struggle with suffering. Some happened to your friends, some happened to you. It says, you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. It's weird since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. He says first, remembering is a key to perseverance in faith. I don't know if you have a good memory or not. Mine is good for random facts that are of no significance and struggles with other things. Maybe you have a good one. But remembering is important. It's important. He's, he's saying, remember previous examples of hard things that have happened on this journey of faith and that you endured. And there's a list of stuff that they were experiencing which are tough things. Like this is not Bible Belt Christianity for them. They're being persecuted sometimes horrifically. Right, so it's a different context than what we're experiencing. But he's saying, remember where you've been on this journey with Jesus and what you've already endured for the sake of Christ with his help and then keep doing it, keep going. And we might not feel persecution like they are experiencing here, but think about your faith journey. What are the hard parts? Where have there been times where you've felt like you couldn't endure, or maybe it would have been easier to walk away from Jesus? You ever been opposed in your faith? You ever been mocked at work for being a Christian? My coworkers these days don't give me too hard of a time about my faith, but <laughs> I have worked many jobs where that is not the case. You believe what about that? Really, you don't do that? You go to church even when it's not for a funeral or wedding or Christmas? That's insane. People might really push back on you. Or maybe it's something else. <clears throat> maybe you've been tempted to go back to your old life. Maybe, if we're being honest, we kind of loved a certain sin that held us really tight, and the idea of dabbling again is kind of enticing. Maybe you've been challenged by professors at school. Maybe you feel like you're the only friend in your Christian friend group that wants to take faith seriously. Maybe you've been tempted to walk away from Jesus because there's just this one girl, man, who really doesn't like Jesus so much. Fill in the blank. There's all kinds of things. Maybe COVID has brought you to the brink of frustration and you say, hey, it might be easier to just be done with church altogether, but he's held you fast. Remember the ways he's enabled us to persevere on this journey with faith and then lean in and keep doing it is what's being said here. And the crazy thing about this is that it says even when 
all these horrible things happen, like even when someone's stealing your stuff, they have joy. When someone takes the last food out of our fridge and a good meal, a leftovers, I want a full inquiry. There is no joy usually when people steal our stuff and yet they're joyful. How? Well, maybe the key is the, is the word that says they're enlightened. They're enlightened. Remember, to the world, what we believe in this book, the truths that we hold to are foolishness until God reveals and enlightens. Notice it's passive, like we don't enlighten ourselves. He reveals spiritual truths to us, and they are changed. True transformation takes place because only someone who's changed in a radical way endures torture, theft, imprisonment with a smile, with joy. That is not normal behavior. They're different. Hope you're still with me. Verse 34 says they're joyful too because they knew that what they had in Christ was better than anything they could lose. It would abide cannot be taken from them. And Apostle Paul uh, echoes the same thing in Philippians chapter three. Um, and he certainly had much to lose and certainly suffered maybe more than anyone for the sake of the gospel. And this is what he says. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, the reward is knowing him. Like now, today, and one day, being resurrected to new life, for eternity with him as well. And these Christians believe the same thing, that relationships and comfort and safety and status and money and property and all these things had nothing on this gain of knowing Jesus now and forever. And so the question for us too is how does Jesus compare for us to all those other things? Is he more valuable? Could we let go of some of those things with joy like they did? Okay, let's keep going. Verse 37 and following says, a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. They are tempted to shrink back, to go back to their old way, and that could be tempting for us too. Have you ever felt like maybe it would actually be easier to not be a Christian? That's true, it is easier to not be a Christian. We're not signing up to follow Jesus because it's easy in any way, but we don't decide how we live our life based on what's easy, right? To follow Christ is far better, and Paul says there's nothing that can compare to the surpassing worth of knowing him. That's why. I heard a story this last week that I thought was very strange, but very interesting, about a guy named Carl Walenda, who was a, like a high wire, a tightrope uh, walker, performer, <clears throat> and he was really famous, and he, he didn't really get scared, he was really uh, confident, he was very committed to the simplicity of walking across a tightrope, just being like, you're getting, the goal is to succeed by getting to the other side. It's simple, it doesn't matter if you're two feet off the ground or like a thousand feet off the ground, that's it. 
And he did many, many performances, but at a certain point, uh, there was one event, and he really started to change in his demeanor, uh, so much so that his wife noticed, and he became very focused on all the possible risks. I mean, you'd think he may have thought about those before, but apparently he didn't, and all of a sudden, he's really focused on, like, well, what if this happened? This could go wrong this way, this could happen this way, and his focus became all about, like, avoiding risk and all the negative potential consequences rather than focusing on what he was so passionate about before, the simplicity of the goal of getting to the other side. And his wife later said that she knew then that he was gonna fall because his focus was so much on not falling and all the potential things that could go wrong for him that that was inevitably what was going to happen because his goal was, his focus was different. And he did tragically fall. And it's quite a story because there's actually a whole like psychology to this idea of where the focus is. It's called the Walenda effect. Because this guy saw all the potential for loss, all the risks that could be avoided, and his eyes were firmly on that rather than the goal. And he shrank back from the task as a result. And for us, as Christians, I think there's a parallel there. We can be so consumed, and so could they, the early readers, with avoiding risk and all the things that could go wrong and all the difficult questions that are keeping me up at night and what my friends might think and will this relationship be possible for me or will I face opposition at work or how am I gonna deal with this hard tragedy that's going on in my life? All these things can be where our attention goes and so it's all about avoiding risk and all the things that could happen and go wrong rather than focusing on the goal which is to focus on Jesus, the reward knowing him, simple, it's simple, pursuit of him who is far more valuable than any of these other things. And often, this was the case for me at that season of my life and for many that I know who are questioning and maybe feel like turning away from Christ, it's often moving our focus away from Jesus and who he is and what he offers us and starting to focus on all these little details of what about this and what about that. And when our focus moves away from Jesus, it is inevitably where we go, away from Jesus. It's something to consider. To shrink back is to turn away from him and our focus is important. And so may we be those that do not shrink back, that stay faithful with endurance, that keep our focus on him and pursuing him, the simplicity of that. Sure, there's other things that are going on, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of difficulty, there's a lot of questions but it's so much better to know him now and forever. And so may we be those that continue to pursue, to take this warning seriously. Don't remain a rebel pursuing your own remedies. There is one remedy, it is Jesus, and it is far more valuable to pursue him. He is greater than everything. Do we believe that? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, even the parts that are uncomfortable for us, that grind our gears a little bit, that we may feel um, are difficult. Our view of it uh, is skewed, Lord. It is true, as it is. May we come under the authority of your word and of you and not say things like, I can't believe in a God who would uh, fill in the blank, but to understand that you are over us, that you know more than us, that you're a good God who loves us and a just judge. And so I pray today that we would take this warning to heart, Lord. I pray for those who um, can identify with a former, a former self, of, uh, a former version of me that had so many questions, Lord. May those who feel on the verge of turning away from Jesus today, God, I pray you would draw men and women 
back to yourself, to stay committed in the task of pursuing you above all else, not being distracted by the questions and the noise and the what ifs and the the avoiding of risk, but to follow you, Jesus. You are so much more uh, valuable than anything else that could take us away from you. And Lord, I pray for this encouragement, that we would remain bold, that we would not shrink back, and I pray that we'd hold on to that as we go from this place. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. You are loved. Have a great day.